Okay, if I could uh, get your attention, we'll get started in today's lesson. Uh, we are, as you know, studying the Gospel of Luke, and today's lesson can be found in Luke chapter 15. We're exactly halfway through. We uh, have completed five of these lessons of ten, so this will be the sixth one if I'm counting correctly. And uh, this, the, today's lesson is, centers on the uh, parable of the prodigal son. And, you know, no one is more lost, wayward, or out of control than Lowell on wings. Still there. <laughs> okay, we're in, in Luke chapter 15. If you remember the section, this section of Luke, uh, there's three basic sessions. One is the, the birth of Christ and the Galilean ministry up around the Sea of Galilee. And then the center section uh, has to do with that last year of his life where he is, as it said last week, turned his face towards Jerusalem. And his teaching begins to change. He starts talking about the crucifixion. And he's headed for Jerusalem. He knows what awaits him there. And as he's going, he's going to have constant confrontations with the religious leaders. He's going to confront them. They're going to criticize him. And it's going to be very clear that they have rejected him completely. And so in this section, the emphasis is on the religious leaders' rejection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not at all their conception of the Son of God. They have a different conception of who God is. Uh, and, of course, this begs the question, what is God? Who is God? What is God really like? And I think in the parable that we're going to study today in Luke 15, actually three parables, it will actually answer the question for us, what is God really like? And, of course, we need to know, right? We need to know who the God that we believe in really is. Who, who is God? What is he really like? Uh, and... What we find out in this section that the religious establishment, and I think it's not only the one during Jesus' day, I think religious establishments, you know, the status quo uh, forever, you know, at that time and until now, has always thought that God's like them. You know, very legalistic, very religious, very judgmental, do it my way or the highway. Uh, they're self-righteous. You know, I've got it together, you don't. Uh, type of attitude, and of course they have no interest, like the Pharisees in the in the story, they've got no interest in sinners, you know, which is a whole category of people that they see out there that they have basically ostracized, that they shun, uh, they have no compassion for these sinners that Jesus is making himself available to. So you see this great contrast between their attitude about the people and Jesus' attitude. So that, their conception of God is uh, very uh, righteous and legalistic and judgmental like themselves. And what is God really like? Uh, in, in our day, is he like the uh, Muslim terrorists who, who say convert or die? Is, do they have the right conception of God? Of course not. Is God like the other world religions? Is God impersonal? You know, Christianity is the only religion that has a personal view of God, that God's personal. What do I mean by that? He actually knows each individual, has a relationship with you and I, cares about what's going on in your life, hears your prayers. That's personal, see? 
No other religion has that. They see God as impersonal. Impersonal. Okay, so is God impersonal? Is he uncaring? Is he uninvolved like all the other religions? Think, uh, you know, in, in like the Eastern religions, is God an impersonal life force who is in all things? All things are God and God is in all things. That's uh, like a Hindu or Buddhist claim. Uh, is that God? Or like in the movies, is God the good force in the Star Wars movie? You know, the force be with you and all that. Is that who God is? And uh, of course, the answer to all that is no. Uh, the Bible gives the only accurate, uh, truthful view of who God is, and we'll see it in today's story. Uh, the fact is that Jesus Christ came to planet Earth to show us, to reveal to the human race who God is, what God is really like. And so in Luke 15 today, Jesus is going to tell three great parables, three great stories. And, and the stories he tells are about natural things, normal things in everyday life that people understand to illustrate spiritual truths they don't understand. So they don't get why Jesus hangs out with sinners and why he appeals to them and why he's nice to them and, and all this talk about God's grace and forgiveness. They don't get it, see? So Jesus tells them a normal, natural story that they do understand to explain a spiritual truth that they do not understand. And the same works for us as well. We see incredible wisdom in these parables that Jesus tells. And in today's uh, lesson, today's parable, we're going to discover at least three truths about God, at least. First of all, God regrets our rebellion. The human race has rebelled against God. They've gone their own way. They want to live independently of God. You know, not you, of course, but the human race as a whole, uh, the, as the Bible sees and calls it, the world, you know, out there. And God, God regrets that. He, he has great pain over that. Uh, of, of the human race going their own way and doing their own thing. So we find something very surprising in the parable since we know that God regrets that and God loves all people, all of his creation and all sinners. What we're going to see in the parable today is it says uh, th that God is actually going to say something like, I love you, therefore you're free to go. You want to be free? You want to be independent? You want to go your own way? I love you, therefore you're free to go. We wouldn't expect that. You know, most of us uh, might have been, you know, the, the helicopter pilot, uh, parents that hovered around the kids and always knew where they were and what they were doing and had control of them, had them on a tight leash, you know. Uh, and so it's hard to imagine that God would just say to this son, here you go, here's the money. Have a good life. Goodbye. You know, but that's what he does. And he actually does it because he loves the, the kid. More about that later. So when you look back at the history of the Bible, God didn't stop Adam and Eve. It seems like he should have. They messed up everything for all of us. But God didn't stop them. He let them go. Uh, when David saw Bathsheba down there in that courtyard and thought he had to have her, God didn't stop him. He could have sent some guards up there or some of his wife could have appeared suddenly from someplace, you know, and stopped it. But God didn't do that. He, he let David 
go and let him experience what the consequences of that were. And of course, in today's parable, God doesn't stop the prodigal son from leaving. He's going to leave, and, and the father basically says, okay, if that's, if that's what you've got to do, that's what you want to do, uh, go, and let's see how that works out. Uh, and so God says, I love you, therefore you, you are free to go. Uh, and God knows something that we don't know. When he lets us go, when we go off like that, like the prodigal son does, God knows something we don't know. And God knows that through self-discovery, and maybe only through self-discovery, and living through the consequences of our actions, can we possibly come, as the story says about the prodigal son, he came to his senses. He came to his senses. That's, that's a very important part of this story. He'd never come back if he didn't come to his senses. And so you got to ask your question, uh, how do you come to your senses? How, do a, how does a goofball, rebellious teenage kid come to his senses? And the father's way of having that happen, allowing that to happen, is to let the kid go off and experience all this stuff that he wants to do, that he thinks will bring him fulfillment and significance. Okay, go do all that. Let's see how that works. And then only through that self-discovery does the son want to come back when he comes to his senses. The second thing uh, uh, about God is that God desires for us to return. He really wants the kid to come back. He just gives him license to leave and, and doesn't do anything to prevent it. But God wants him to come back. God wants us to come back. He wants all people to come back to him. The door is always open. The door is always open. So God doesn't close the doors. God is always longing for people to come back to him. He's looking for us. In the story, the father's out there on the road looking for the son. And the third thing is, God is faithful to forgive and restore all who repent. Now, let me emphasize that word faithful again because as you look through the Bible, you find that, you know, you ask, people ask that question, is there anything God can't do? Well, one of the things he can't do is not forgive repentant sinners. He has already determined in eternity that if mankind will repent and come back to him, confess their sin, and receive him, he will forgive them. He will do that. That's who God is, see? And he will do it. So God is faithful to forgive and, and restore all those who repent. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. But God's love demands it. Isn't that awesome? We don't deserve it, but God's love demands it, that he forgive us in that way. And so uh, we'll see that uh, in today's story. The, these parable, this parable in, in Luke 15, the prodigal son, uh, I've you read all these different authors and just a few of the quotes I wrote down from these different books and kind of famous authors. One says, it's the fullest and most instructive of all the parables. Another guy says, it is the gospel within the gospel. So if you're reading the gospel of Luke, this is the gospel within the gospel of Luke. Another one said, it's the greatest short story ever written. It's a gem of storytelling. It's artistically perfect. 
And one guy even went so far as to say, the majority of novels are based on this story. I, I, that kind of caught my attention. I started thinking about all the different stories, you know. And it's really true, you know. It's really true. I mean, this, this uh, story really goes through uh, the whole human experience and, and encapsulates it, captures it very well. Okay, so what is the context of the parable of the prodigal son? In Luke 15, we see the context in verse 1 and 2. Uh, all the tax gatherers, and they were the, you know, they were the awful people, the dregs of that society, because they'd sold out to the Romans. They'd sold themselves out, and, and basically under the Roman uh, system of taxation, uh, they hired people, they even had to bid for it because it was so lucrative, to go out and, and collect the taxes. And anything they could collect over what the Romans said they, they owed, they could keep. And so these tax collectors became uh, extortionists, basically, is what they were. They extortioned uh, more money than that they should have. They accepted bribes as well. And they, they were just generally regarded as crooks. And so these tax gatherers, these known crooks, as well as various sundry sinners, you know, think of everything, uh, all through the Gospels you see the prostitutes coming and all these other ne'er-do-wells, and Jesus makes himself available to these people here in verse 1. They were coming near to him and listening to them. He was teaching them. And both the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, grumbled about that. They went, why would he have anything to do with these people? We would never have anything to do with these people. So they have a different, as I said before, a different conception of who God is and what, and what God does. So in their view, God wants nothing to do with these guys. And they can't imagine if Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God, why he would have anything to do with these sinners. And so verse 2, they begin to grumble and they said to each other, this man, Jesus, receives sinners and even eats with them. Can you imagine? That's unclean. And so Jesus, knowing what they said, knowing what they were thinking, he tells them a parable, again, to explain why he's actually making himself available, eating and, having, and hanging out with these known sinners, right? Uh, and these parables are real interesting to me. The wisdom is amazing because uh, Jesus accomplished several things here by, by speaking in parables. Not only did he made it, make it uh, more easily understandable for people like us, but all of his disciples we find in, in these stories, the people who really believe in Jesus and want to be his disciples, they go the extra step to understand the parables even if it means coming back later and asking him to interpret them, he does it. And they end up with an understanding of what the parable was. On the other hand, you've got the Pharisees and the scribes and all these religious leaders, the holier-than-thou people. They're hearing these stories, and they understand the, the physical material part of the story, but they don't necessarily get the spiritual side. And because they don't, guess what happens? There's no argument. If he was telling these guys straight out, they would have terrible arguments. They'd have confrontations in everything he said. Uh, they'd be trying to bring him down, you know. But there's no argument going on when he tells parables. They just kind of walk away going, now what? 
Why would that father let that kid go? Why would he give that kid that money? It's crazy. You know, so they're walking around all confused, you know. And yet Jesus' target audience is understanding what he's saying. And so he told them the he told them three parables really here in chapter 15. And you can call them the parables of the lost and found. Uh, the first one, he says, What man among you, verse 4, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on it on his shoulder, so he goes to great effort to get it back, to get it back. And he rejoices that it's recovered. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So obviously in this parable, he's likening the human race to lost sheep. To lost sheep. And of course, that is a great metaphor for humanity. Why so? Because they're so dumb. And they're so defenseless. I mean, think about it. Have you ever heard of fighting sheep? Have you ever heard of racing sheep? Circus sheep? Guard sheep? Attack sheep? No! And why not? Because they can't do anything. They're dumb and defenseless. They depend on the shepherd for everything. And so the human race uh, is exactly like these sheep in that we need everything. We, everything we need, only God can give. It's the idea, just like in the parable. And, and you see the shepherd make the, the extra effort to go get the sheep. And, and save the sheep. And that's, you know, Jesus' view of God. He goes the extra mile to get the people back. Uh, and then the second parable is about the lost coin. Verse 7. He says, I tell you, the, in the same way, first of all, he, in verse 7, he explains the parable, previous parable. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven. So what did the sheep represent? There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What did I say earlier about a personal God? How much personal does it get? He leaves the 99 to go after that one person, that one sheep. See? He cares about each one of the sheep. He cares about each one of us. It's personal with him. Verse 8, the next thing that's lost or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search for carefully until she finds the coin? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. And in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Basically the same message as the previous uh, parable of the sheep. In this one, it's, a, it's not a life, it's not a living thing. It's an it's a inanimate object, the coin. But the, but the point is the same. You know, in those days, they didn't have electricity. So the houses would be fairly dark uh, relatively to, to ours. And the floor in these Middle Eastern homes was typically like a dirt floor. So when you dropped a coin, it wouldn't be that easy to find it. And they would have to like get a light and get down low and look for it. And so they understand uh, why she would do that. And his point is, 
Again, same thing. Joy in heaven over that one person who was lost but who is now found. All right? And then the third parable is the famous parable that you're all familiar with. And we call it the parable of the prodigal son. You can see it in verse 11. But the Bible calls it the parable of the two sons. We call it the prodigal son, probably because we relate so much better to that first son. <laughs> we relate to him in one of two ways. We're like him. You know, we wandered off, you know, and got lost like him. Or maybe you have somebody in your family that wandered off, and you're kind of like the second brother, and you look down on that uh, lost son who went away. But it's really a parable about two sons. And if you remember, what, what the context is, what prompted this parable was these religious leaders criticizing Jesus for having something to do with sinners. And so uh, both of these sons are going to represent somebody. The, the prodigal son, the first son, the younger son, represents the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all the people, uh, you know, the ne'er-do-wells. But on the other hand, the second son, the older son, represents the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders. They're just like him. So Jesus is going to, in this parable, do two things. He's going to explain why he appeals, why he loves and helps these sinners. But at the same time, he's going to reveal to the religious leaders why they also are estranged from God and need Jesus to reunite them, reconcile them to God. They also are in the same boat. They're looking down on criticizing these uh, tax collectors. But Jesus in this parable is going to reveal you're both estranged from the Father. You both have a problem with the Father. See? And it, so it's, it's a masterpiece is what it is. And so, uh, verse 12, here's the story. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them came with an outrageous request, almost more of a demand. He says, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And he divided his wealth between them. So what's the demand? In, in the Middle East, in, in first century uh, Israel, uh, the uh, inheritance Traditions were basically that the older son got twice as much as the younger son. And when the father died, uh, the family farm or business would go to the older son. But the younger son would also get, uh, you know, a third of it and be employed there. But he just had to work for the older guy. So clearly, the younger son says, I'm ready for my money now. And in fact, I wish you were dead so I could get it. Now, that way, if you're the dad, that way, that's hard to take, isn't it? Your son comes to you and says, you know, if you'd go ahead and pass on, I could get my money. You know, I want it now. And so, amazingly, what you're thinking, what I'm thinking is for that dad to just whack him across the face a few times, slap him silly, and send him on his way. You think, I'm going to sell some property and give it to you, you worthless kid? You know, think of your teenagers in their most rebellious stage. And if you just turned over all your money to them, <laughs> you know, that's basically what happens. 
to this guy. And so Jesus' audience are going to be like, what? You gave him the money? Are you out of your mind? So it's supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to shock that audience. It's supposed to shock us. He's, he's actually hoping that it'll have that shock value where we go, why would he do that? That doesn't make sense. But he did it. He let the kid go, divided his wealth, sold stuff, gave that guy a third of the money, and he went on his way. Not many days later, the younger son gathered up all of his money and all of his stuff, everything together, and he went on a journey into a distant country. Now, why would he do that? Why would he need to leave? I take it that just like uh, a lot of kids want to get away from their parents. You know, they can't wait to get off to college to get away from their parents. Why? Because there's no accountability at college. <laughs> they know they can go and do anything they want, and the parents aren't there to see it. And so this guy leaves town. You know, I, I remember uh, when our oldest daughter was in high school, we said, well, where, you, where do you want to go to college? And, and she said, uh, I either want to go to the University of Maine or the University of Washington. Because those are the farthest places away from you. you know? And, of course, the, the great thing is, two years later, she called and said, I'd like to transfer to SMU and live at home if you don't mind. And that's exactly what happened. It took her two years to come to her senses, just like the prodigal son is going to come to his senses, you know. And so we ought to be able to relate to this. Uh, so God, uh, the father gives that son his freedom. I love you. And if that's, this is what you think you need, if this, you think this will fulfill you, I know that it's best for you to go try it, and then you'll have to live with the consequences. But maybe, as the text says, maybe, just maybe, hopefully, you'll come to your senses. You'll wake up and realize how good you had it, how wonderful your father is, and how wonderful it is to live in the love of your father, okay? But he went out, took everything with him, went to a distant country, and here's a shock. He squandered his estate with loose living. And, of course, my image of that, you know, is the first time you went to Vegas, right, Las Vegas, Right? Am I the only one? <laughs> uh, nobody else said, yeah, huh? it's just me, huh? You know, you go out there thinking, oh, you're going to have this awesome time, and it's wild and woolly, and you'll get to do all these different things, and really just cut loose, you know? And then on the way back, you're just wiped out in every way. Your money's gone, you know? And I remember one time, the first time I went out there was with my dad he, at some convention, and I was in college, and on the way back, I was totally broke, hungover, just every other horrible thing. And uh, I said to him, you act like you knew that was going to happen. And he goes, yeah, I was pretty sure of it. And I said, why didn't you stop me? And he said, some things you just have to learn on your own. I could have told you, but you never would have bought into it. But now you know from your own experience and that's exactly what's going on with this younger son. Self-discovery. He's finding out the hard way. You know, maybe you had uh, a young child and you told him, uh, don't touch the hot oven. It'll burn you. 
but they think maybe you're trying to deprive them of some thrill or something. So they, they come up and touch it anyway, and then they go, ow, and they start crying. But they never do it again. You know, self-discovery. And that's what's going on with the younger son. So he, he turns him loose. The guy goes out, squanders it, loose living. Later on, we'll see in verse 30, the older son said he spent all the money on prostitutes and what have you. <laughs> and so he went all the way to the dark side. And verse 15, so now he's got this problem. He's, he's broke. He went and attached himself. So how's he going to make it? He attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields. The guy said, okay, you can work for me. You're broke. You can work for me. And he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. Now, another shocker. Can you imagine the worst humiliation for a Jew during Jesus' time, and probably even today, is to go work with the pigs, you know? And that's what that, it came to this guy. That's the only job he could get. And there was a famine at the time. So he's got two major problems. He's broke, and the economy is in the tank. And this is the only job he can get, and it doesn't pay anything. And how bad does it get? You say, how bad can it get? It was so bad, verse 16, he was longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the swine, the pigs were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. He was willing to get down in the mud with the pigs and eat, eat the pig food. That's how bad it got. So the question then is, he's at the bottom, right? He's in the depths of despair. Uh, his party has become a prison. His party has become a prison. And you may have uh, heard me say before, his state was like this. Uh, sin always takes you further than you want to go. Always keeps you there longer than you want to stay and costs you more than you want to pay. And that's where he was, paying the maximum price. And his party had become a prison. So our question might be, is it so bad? Is he so bad that he can't be rescued? He's at the bottom, but can he be rescued? Can he find his way out of this mess? And of course we know that, that he can. But what's the process of recovery? And this is the same for us. We, we can find ourselves in this mess, either physically, material, or, or more likely, morally, ethically. And how do we get out of it? Verse 17, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to do this, and it's not always easy. You've got to come to your senses. So in verse 17, but when he came to his senses... I mean, it just all of a sudden, like a light bulb came on, he said, well, this isn't very good. What was I thinking? Why would I do this? This didn't work out. In fact, I suddenly realized how good I had it back with the Father. The worst, lowest employee of my Father is treated way better than I'm being treated now. I made a mistake. He came to his senses. Secondly, he's got you got to come back. You got to come back to the Father. So he gets up and makes this plan to return to the Father. I'll get up in verse 18. I'll get up and go back to my Father. So secondly, you got 